Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of See Here Love's SOS series, Summer of Strength. I hope you've been strengthened by a lot of our other episodes that you've been listening to. Um, and I really hope that our stories and my conversations are encouraging you this summer and helping you make good decisions, giving you skills and resources to strengthen you in all areas of your life. And today is without, I mean, I, can't, I don't even know what to say. This this conversation is remarkable. It's amazing. Um, how I met my next guest is like crazy, and we're going to share about that story. She's a former co-host of See Here Love, and I believe season two. And she's now a CDC certified divorce coach and CDC divorce transition and recovery coach uh, who helps her clients navigate divorce with their wealth and sanity intact. She's also a certified divorce financial analyst, a former banker that helps women get smart about their money. She's also the co-author of Engage the Fox uh, because she is an expert in critical thinking and helps her clients make good decisions throughout the divorce process and with their money. She's written so many articles about overcoming money problems, high conflict people, changing your story about divorce, about happiness, about mental health. And she's been featured in a number of Newspapers and websites at Half Post, Thrive Global, Authority Magazine. She's also appeared on The Mom Show, Report on Business TV, TVO Parents, and of course, See Here Love. But this conversation, it is designed to support a woman who is going through a divorce, is facing an impending divorce. Um, but it's also a lot about just being financially smart and empowered uh, with the decisions. You know, Jen and I, Jen Lawrence, talk about, you know, how we've met um, the good and bad of our own divorces, what we learned through our own divorces, the challenges that we faced, um, what we wish we had known, but also um, when we look back, the things we learned about ourselves. Uh, Jen gives some really great um advice for the woman who just finds themselves unchosen and what are the first steps to do financially when you're you're faced with a divorce and she also shares which is something completely new to me um you know the five languages of love she shares about the eight languages of money and eight types of people which i think will totally revolutionize marriage and make sense for what kind of type you are. So you have to listen through the whole thing because she goes through that. We talk about financial abuse, how you can change your money story, how to be a good steward of money, about systemic discrimination, about credit history, everything, everything you need to know um, about money in a marriage and going through separation and divorce. It is hopeful, this conversation. It inspired me. I had so many aha moments and I know you will too. So here is my conversation with Jen Lawrence to strengthen you in all things money and finances without shame. Well, Jen Lawrence, it is so amazing, great, incredible, all the words, uh, to finally get a chance to talk with you one-on-one -on -one about some like personal things, about some important things that we've been through. Um, yeah. I, I mean, our story, our, how our lives have connected is so incredible. And so welcome, welcome to see your love of our summer Thank of strength series. Thank you. It's amazing to uh, connect with you in this space. And yeah, I'm looking forward to having the, the time to get a bit personal. So this is uh, this is <laughs> fabulous. I know. I, I don't know if uh, if listeners know how we met. Because, I don't think um, so. I think we alluded when you were like a CRLF co-host, we alluded a little bit about it, but we have never shared the full story of how we got to know each other. So maybe yeah. you share your part, your your side, and I'll share my side, and we'll kind of come together. But yeah, let's let's share yeah, about how we no, met because that's pretty amazing. So yeah, I had been watching um, one of your prior shows. This was like this was over a decade ago, oh. and um, 
And I was blogging at the time and I mentioned the show and one of the my blog readers was one of your show viewers and sort of mentioned like, I know Mel, she's great. And I'd mentioned I was moving like to the west part of Toronto and I reached out to you via email and you know, we were just both really busy, right? I'm moving and working and show and we're just busy. And so then kind of flash forward, I think it was like a year later. I mean, it was a while. Mm -hmm. And um, I had, you know, a relationship I'd been in had turned really toxic. I didn't know anybody where I was. And for some reason, I just felt like I should email you. I mean, it, like, I don't know why I felt that, but I felt that. So I emailed you. And for some reason, you felt like called to respond. So I remember we met at a, a restaurant um, in town and your, I mean, I think he was your boyfriend at the time, your husband now, I think he was waiting in the car to make sure I was not a lunatic. Because <laughs> I'm literally like a random woman from the internet, right? Like we're not supposed to meet these people. <laughs> but, but like we met, you prayed for me. We just, we shared our stories and there were lots of things we had in common and we ended up, I mean, we were there like two or three hours after mm -hmm. closing. I mean, luckily you knew the restaurant owners, so it wasn't a problem. But it was, um, and then since then our lives have just keep, you know, yes. overlapping and connecting. And at one point I was, you know, co-host on the show and did some writing for you. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting because we keep, having these, mm -hmm. you know, points of commonality. And so, you know, I feel like we're called to be in each other's lives. And 100%. so it's, it's perfect to be here. And it's, it's so great. And I, I laugh because if it was me now, I don't know if I would have responded to you in that. I mean, not now, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I've done that since Jen. I don't know if, cause I have a lot of people that write to me and want to connect of course. but I honestly I'm thinking through as far as I know and remember I think you've been the only one that I actually like met with I've written some people yeah but what's really neat was I really felt a very strong sense of like being drawn to you when you wrote because I think what you wrote connected with me because I had a few years before gone through a very difficult divorce, like a separation divorce. Right. And so, and the mutual friend I really respected and, and used to work with her and I really loved her. So there was a, that was a really a neat point of connection of trust. And then, yeah, you're right. I think Chris did wait outside and I had to call or like I texted like, it's okay because right. you never know. <laughs> Right? You never know who you're meeting. You never know. And I'm not used to reaching. Like, I'm very much a, like, help myself, do it myself. Yeah. I don't reach out for help. Like, I just don't. So for me to randomly kind of email <laughs> someone I didn't even know, like, that is so out of my character. But so but cool. Just, yeah, so it's cool. so cool. I'm so glad you did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, again, for people who are like, I don't know if I should reach out. I say people should reach out. Just don't, don't have expectations that the person is going to now, like, be your best friend and hang out with you, but you just never know. Yes. Like, I'm yeah. glad I did. And I'd, so that's the story's right. I get an email from you. It did take us a year because you moved into the like neighborhood area in which I lived. Yeah. So that was real, that worked. And then mm -hmm. I was so glad I was there for you through and journeyed with you through that really difficult time, which I think for me, it was really good in healing as well. I know that sounds weird while you're going through your difficult time, but just. No, I totally get it. Yeah. I had been through it. There was still processing. I could understand. I really have empathy. It wasn't like a sympathy, like, oh yeah, it must feel that way. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been there. Yeah. And ever since then, I mean, we've, we've had seasons we were closer Then it has been busy and we've been farther, but there's yeah. definitely a reason that we have connected and remain friends. And so absolutely. I'm so glad you've reached out. I'm so glad you reached out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we both share that, you know, divorce story. Um, I mean, in my case, it's divorce stories, plural, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but, 
Um, you know, we understand that season and it is a tough season. And um, I think now we're both distanced enough from it that, you know, they always say, right from your scars, not from your wounds. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. speaking about it is the same way. I think we both speak from our scars, not from our wounds. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're able to bring some light to the divorce conversation and all of the complexities. I know we're gonna be getting into money today, mm -hmm. but um, you know, for, for people out there who are feeling very much alone in that process, we've both been through it. We are both weirdly better off for it. You know, mm -hmm. and yes. that is so hard to understand when you're still in that raw season mm -hmm. that at one at some point in your life, you'll be so thankful for the lessons the people I mean, I wouldn't have met you without the bumps That's in my true. life. I wouldn't have met a lot of great people. Mm -hmm. um, but it is hard when you're in that season of pain to remember that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. You know, and, and like I said, it's really interesting because I, I don't think I've ever had an interview like this where... I'll be honest and we can talk through our divorce experience with anybody else. I've, you know, there've been people like I've, you know, done 600, 700 interviews, you know, or more. And there have been inter, you know, people I've interviewed who sat on the couch and we talked, but it was more about their book or whatever. I, I'm saying for me, yeah. it's like as a friend with you to kind of process it a little bit and talk about it because there, there is a, <laughs> There are a lot of things that I've learned um, that I wish I'd known before. And that's why I'm so glad we're talking because, Jen, I think where you're at now, you're going to be able to help a lot of women and men who are going to be divorcing, who are in the process of, in a lot of very practical ways, you'll help them a lot. But let's let's talk about this, like kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, Um of how our divorces have impacted us. So let's start with what we've learned about ourselves. We'll start with that and, and relationships through our divorce experience. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, certainly after my first divorce with the father of my kids, I didn't heal. I dated. Um, and I had this kind of, uh, you know, Cinderella, Prince Charming's gonna come and fix everything. Um, you know, damsel in distress mode. And when we get into some of the money discussions later on, um, you know, that's actually kind of a, a, a money lens people have. But I sort of figured like, I'm in this situation, some guy is gonna get me out of this situation. <laughs> um, instead of working on myself mm. and my own sense of independence and my own feeling that I'm whole. You know, I think there's this dialogue that like we're walking around being half a person and until we like link up with someone else, we're not whole. We are made whole. We're born whole. We are whole people. And after you've been through something like divorce, you have to get back in touch with that again. So it's a spiritual journey, it's an emotional journey. And I didn't do that and instead I bounced around you know, dated a bunch of wealthy people thinking that would work. Then, uh, you know, I realized, no, that's not the answer. So then I sort of found a regular guy, thought, okay, that's the answer. Got married, <laughs> that wasn't the answer. Um, and then after that divorce, I mean, luckily or not luckily, because he, you know, went on a business trip and didn't come back at the beginning of COVID. And COVID was such a huge gift. I mean, you would think it would be terrible to have someone leave at the beginning of it. But I had two years of really forced introspection and healing mm. where I learned, like, I am enough. I'm a great single parent. Like, I think I'm a terrific single parent. Um, I mean, I managed to take my kids to Italy in the middle of a pandemic. Like, I figured yeah, all that crazy. out. <laughs> like, that's amazing and crazy people. and wonderful all at the same time. And so, you know, I really feel so secure in myself and I worked on, you know, I did a bunch of coach training, which not only helped, you know, launch my business, but it's also when you're going through the coaching process, you're learning tips to heal yourself. So it was such a, a deep healing process. And I actually tapped into like traumas and things that I think informed decisions I made around dating and marriage that I had never addressed. So, you know, again, this is where, you know, all things are redeemed. You take the bad of a global pandemic mm -hmm. and it was bad for me though, being forced to be just kind of in my home was such a gift. And so, you know, for me, I learned like Prince Charming is not coming. Hmm. God has made you resourceful. We are so resourced 
And I think sometimes we sell ourselves short, but we have so many gifts and we just need to tap into it. I'm unique. God made me unique. And I, for my whole, like for 50 years, was like, oh, I'm just eccentric. Like, I've got to fit in. I'm never gonna. And it's like, no, I mean, God made me to love Prada and love a weird little <laughs> yes. badly behaved dog and like to pour into my kids and <laughs> to feel the need to go to Europe in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, he may have made me weird, but that's cool. Like, totally cool. God loves me. I love me. My, my, you know, ride or die people love me. So if someone doesn't love me, that doesn't mean I'm unloved. Mm. It's just like that wasn't a fit. And that's okay. Like if I go into a change room at a store and I put on a pair of pants and the pants doesn't fit, I don't think, oh, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. I'm like, I need another pair of pants. <laughs> so exactly. I mean, not that I want to keep going through pairs of pants in this <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> but, but the problem isn't necessarily with you. And I think so much of the dialogue around divorce is that the problem is you. Mm. You know, that there's something wrong with you. Mm. That you've been rejected because there is something flawed. Mm -hmm. And it, sometimes it's just not a fit, particularly if you were making a choice in partner from a place of pain. And so it's that it's that knowing that I had to get right with myself mm. was the primary thing I needed to do. And again, the gift of COVID because I didn't really have much choice. I couldn't have gone out there dating if I wanted right. to. So. Wow, that's a good perspective. That, that really is good, I love that. Um, man, Jen, that's good. There's some really good learnings there. I think, uh, I think the biggest learning through the, my divorce, when I went to my therapist and on the yeah. whiteboard, she was, she was, you know, writing out, you know, uh, what I wanted in a, in a man. And then I, and then when I chose my first husband, there was some incongruencies there. There was some things. And, and I think, uh, yeah, I think what I thought that I needed for myself weren't actually really good things for myself. I, I was looking for yeah. wealth, um, security, a certain type yeah. of person based on maybe what I thought the world expected of me, what would look good on me, uh, yes. that would make me look better, be more affluent, be looking more successful. So put all that in got the guy. Yeah. Um, and I think for both of us, we came in with hugely unrealistic expectations and unfair expectations of one another, which none of us yeah. could measure up to deeply disappointed, very lonely in the marriage. And I think, and I say this to single friends, like being lonely in a marriage is worse than I think being lonely. Cause I have been single being lonely, single, yeah. because you actually have somebody with you, but you are not choosing one another and you're turning your back in bed and feeling so alone yeah. when somebody is right there beside you. It's, it's a horror totally feeling. Agree. Um, it is. so I think the learning was, you know, when I went back to therapy and I was looking kind of for what would be, um, if I decided to get married again, it was all these things I didn't want in a man. And then eventually Chris, my now, you know, second husband is all the things I didn't want. And yet are all the things that are good for me, which is really funny. I'm still trying to unpack that Jen with my therapist. Like, what was that? <laughs> like, no way. And then everything of the nose is Chris. It's hilarious. Like yeah. I didn't want. You guys are so perfect together. And yet you are like, I, I would not have put you together. Neither but I would I. Anyone more perfect. Thank you. I cannot imagine anyone yeah, more perfect. Neither would I. Neither would I. But I think yeah. the learning in that was really interesting because I think we do have a culture and people who want to have a certain look and way, but the, the person might not actually have great character or be the right fit for you. And that was a big yeah. learning. Um, and I think, I think you're right. I think there was an expectation that marriage was going to make me whole and make me feel better about mm -hmm. myself. And like, that was going to be all the issues I've had that was going to be resolved and solved by marriage. No, no, no. If I can say that. Yeah. And it did, it did yeah. give me a chance when I was going through my separation to actually get in touch with myself, get a hold of myself and say, Mel, these are like your own issues. You need to work on this 
another person can't fix yeah. that. Another person can't take that. And so I do own that. I mean, it, it obviously takes two in, in a, in a, yeah. in a breaking of a marriage, but so I had to kind of own my stuff. Um, yeah. But there was a lot of learning. I love that what you're saying about being whole, because I think a lot of people go into marriage going, this person's going to make me better. I'll feel more whole yeah. with it, right? Yeah. And a lot of those same characteristics will spill over into money because a lot of people think money will make them all. If only I could be wealthy, yeah. I would be X. If only I would get this job, I would be Y. And again, it comes down to you are whole a relationship, money, a job, uh, it's, it's not going to get you that sense of wholeness. That sense of wholeness is you and your relationship with, you know, God, your higher power. Mm -hmm. That That's what makes you feel whole, mm -hmm. is that knowledge that you are enough all on your own. And then if you happen to get the job, if you meet the partner, it's, it's additive and it makes you more you. Mm but you've got to be you mm -hmm. first. You can't be like half of you yeah. or the other stuff is just, it's actually going to amplify the problems rather than solving the problems. Oh, that's good. So in that, I, why did you decide to become a divorce coach? I mean, you know, obviously you could say, well, it's because I've been divorced, but to get into that, what was the motivation for you? Why was it important to kind of move into this? Cause I mean, you, you're, you know, written a book, you were like business coach. I mean, you're, you are very, you are probably one of the smartest, honestly, women I know, an incredible writer, funny, witty, like all the things, Jen, honestly. And oh so gosh. you move from there to then this new role. Why? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it was just the difference between my first divorce and my second divorce. Um, and it was knowing what you're doing, kind of having a roadmap because I knew how to get a lawyer and how to separate the finances. And, you know, I knew that stuff. So I could actually just work on my healing. Mm. And so I recognize that there are a lot of, you know, people out there and I mostly work with, you know, midlife women facing divorce, often unwanted divorce. Mm. And often these are women who haven't worked outside the home. So there's a feeling of vulnerability. Um, and, you know, knowing the process and getting a good lawyer to advise you and sort of understanding the process then lets you heal. And I also know that trying to make all of these complex money decisions, you know, there are certain kind of quick fixes you can put into place, like breathing exercises to get your central nervous system calmed. It can help you make those hard decisions even when you're not fully healed. So then you can move to a place when you're healed. Because if you're worried about like not being able to pay the mortgage or, you know, where you're going to get money for the next tank of gas, like you, you can't, heal mm. and you can't move forward into even a space of healing mm. and so you know divorce is one of those times where you know if you're facing say a death in the family like people often will leave you alone they'll bring the casseroles they'll have space for you they're not saying okay do you want this amount of spousal supported do you want this percentage of the assets and all of a sudden you're trying to calculate like stock options and i mean you're just you're not able to do that and so a coach helps walk you through that process. And then the coaching practice has actually evolved um, because some not, you know, people who've hired me have non-divorcing friends mm. who want to figure out things like uh, the kids have left the nest. What do I do next? You know, so vocational coaching. So some, some of the stuff I've done through divorce coaching, I'm now doing for non-divorcing wow. people because the reality is... Whenever you've gone through a period of change, whether that's, you know, kids leaving the nest, a financial change, a job loss, a divorce, an illness, that often changes your perspective on what you want to do in life. Mm. And, you know, just having someone kind of walk you through some of the options can be helpful. Um, so that's, you know, I moved into that. I basically used all of the techniques I researched to help myself and I use them to help other people now. So yeah. it's a hugely fulfilling. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I love that, I love that you can take something that's like, oh, like, you know, it could it could be devastating and challenging, but then sitting and thinking, wait a second, if I'm going through this, then there's a ton of other women who are going through this, and who's helping them? Yeah. And I love how you use yeah. that, Jen, to then become this coach for people who 
are struggling have struggled with what you did. Like, I love that when I hear that, especially for women who start something new based out of something that either was really hard and said, yes. oh, there's a hole there. I, I didn't get that kind of support and what I needed. I could be that person then for the next woman and the next woman. Yeah. That's really, I, I commend you on I that. Mean, I love that. financial decisions, mm. you know, because, um, I mean, I used to be an investment banker. I've got an MBA with finance. I still found it impossible to make financial decisions when I was stressed. And, you know, I became aware of things like financial abuse, like just so aware that there are so many women who who don't touch money, like people tend to split what happens in a marriage, right? One party might take care of the money, the other party might, you know, take care of kids or work or do whatever. And so I'm like, if I as an investment banker, I'm finding this money thing so complex, um, I can help other people. So I became a certified divorce financial analyst, because it's just acknowledging that when your head is spinning and you can barely get out of bed and then you're supposed to go meet with a wealth manager who's throwing all of these acronyms at you right. and you're just like, take me away from mm -hmm. this. Um, and so, so, you know, some of what I'm doing even is putting together information for, you know, banking folks and stuff to understand things like financial abuse and, and money trauma wow. because, you know, people going through a hard time when you're having to deal with anything financial you're just not in the right headspace to make great decisions. Yeah. So often you need someone to be helpful. That's so good. And you know, you're perfect for the series or SOS, because I can't imagine a ton of women going SOS. <laughs> it's, it's really like help, but it's also the Summer of Strength series. And so I, I, I was like, when we started talking, we had that lunch, you know, a, a little while ago, Jen, and you started talking about your, what you were doing. I was like, I have to get you on because you're the perfect person to help strengthen and support, you know, women who are going through this. I think for me, that was one of the biggest things. Like I had no idea. Like it was like, we sold the house. I quit my job thinking that I was going to move with him. The money from the house went to pay off some debt, but also into his business. And, and I was left with like nothing. Like I had nothing. I moved into a girlfriend's yeah. house in her guest room yeah. because I, you know what I mean? Common. Like I had no understanding. And then I'm like, what do I do? How do I find a job? Do I go on EI? I, it was so, it was yeah. a horrible dark time. I would say out of anything, that was one of the hardest things for me. It's like, then I had to pay a monthly, you know, amount in storage. I had to pay my car. Yeah. I still had my phone and now I don't have two incomes and I don't have a job. Yeah. What do I do? And there's do? so much shame. Oh, and there's so much shame. And yes. so people don't ask because it's it's relationships and it's money and it's all these things people yes. don't talk about because it's so taboo. And so, you know, so many women who I talk to and I do some pro bono stuff, you know, they won't see a lawyer because they've been told, you know, don't hire a lawyer. They're expensive. You should try to mediate. You should try to have discussions. Um, and I say, you know, Get a lawyer because the lawyer can tell you your options. You know, there's legal aid, there's legal financing, there are ways to access bits of help because they can let you know what part of the assets are yours, what, what support might you be entitled to. So at least you have a picture of what your financial options are. Um, you know, if it, financial abuse has just been acknowledged under the new Divorce Act in Canada okay. as being an element of coercive control, because up until now, abuse was considered only physical abuse, whereas there's so many women who couldn't leave or they were left and left destitute. Wow. And, you know, it was never acknowledged mm -hmm. that finances like money can be a real weapon. Mm -hmm. It can be used as a real weapon against people. And so, you know giving people permission to have discussions about you know money and the end of a relationship like for women and particularly women in christian communities these things just are not discussed no, they're not. And, and so it's you know saying you can get a lawyer um you need to learn some financial literacy it's so important like a lot of women don't have credit they'll have a supplementary credit card that's part of their husbands particularly if they're like a stay-at-home mm -hmm. mom and then they don't have a credit history and they can't rent an apartment. And so yeah. like all of these things so often come as surprises. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I say is we weren't taught in school about this stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the financial industry deliberately keeps things complex so that we'll hire professionals. And I mean, I love financial professionals. I have a wealth manager myself, but often it's up to us to say, look, you've just said like eight acronyms at me, RESPs and RSP. Like, I don't know what any of this is. That's like, you're not supposed to. We aren't born knowing this stuff and it shouldn't be shameful. Like there's so much shame in the personal finance community. Like you're poor because you drank too many lattes and you're poor because you ate too much avocado toast. And that's just not correct. Oh, thank you for saying like, that. No, because I know, but that's a, that, the not... people have said that, like you've done that and that's why you don't have money. Well, and, and it's like, and there's so much, I mean, there's so much of a history of systemic discrimination within money. Like if you are um, female, if you have disabilities, if you are a person of color, I mean, for a long time, people of color could not get mortgages. Women couldn't own property. So oh. we have a system of that was built on systemic discrimination and it's getting better. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when people get um, very prideful about, you know, the homes they own, it's like, basically you've made money in a system built on slavery and stolen land. So yeah. I don't want to be the heavy here, mm -hmm. but let's not be prideful about this. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean like, let's go to the casino and gamble away all the money and not feed our children. But it's good stewardship has nothing to do with wealth because a lot of wealth has been inherited. Mm -hmm. It depends on your background, your story. Like a lot of people who have come from places where say, um, land has been seized through war or corrupt governments. Why would they then come here and have faith to put a bunch of money into a housing system when their whole life they've been told that's, that's not secure. What is secure? is your memories. No one can take away your memories. So isn't it smarter to spend money on travel and dinners out with friends and building a beautiful life with your community? Because no one can ever take that away from you. Mm. And if you've come from a system where the banking system is corrupt or the housing, you know, land is, has been seized from mm. you. I mean, we have this very narrow perspective that the smart thing to do is to work really, really, really hard. Well, to study really, really hard and then work really, really hard and then amass a bunch of money and buy a big house and then retire at 65 and go to Florida. And that's it. And if you don't do that, then you're some kind of failure when it comes and, to money and it's because okay, you bought too many Okay, so here's my question, Jen. Who created that? <laughs> who made that up? Because I even heard that coming from Asia at 13, that somehow I remember that in my psyche, like that was the, that was the kind of trajectory of every person. And I, and I remember thinking from who, what standard, why? And, and then I saw yeah. friends do all that to achieve that, but their lives yeah. were not happy, fulfilling, flourishing, thriving. Um, it's it. And so, no. but I don't know where that came from. That's actually so funny. I've never well, asked anybody it's, that. It's Hi, this is Becca, the associate producer of See Here Love, interrupting this great conversation to let you know that there are more shows and great content and blogs at seeherelove.com and our YouTube channel. Content to help you and give you tools as you care for your mental health, relationships, being single, being married, family issues, your self-confidence. We're here for you to help you find joy and small wins in your everyday as we lean into relationship with Jesus and intentional community. So check us out at seeherelove.com. And if you want to help us keep making this kind of content, you can donate to us at seeherelove.com slash donate. And really, to keep Melinda and I working and with jobs, donate. And finally, if you found this episode inspiring, please take a moment to share it with someone who would enjoy it and to rate and review our podcast. It really helps. Now back to Melinda. The lens is white. The lens is patriarchal. The lens is capitalism. And we don't ever challenge mm. that. Um, like, I don't remember reading the Bible story where Jesus studied really, really hard and then went and got the job and worked away <laughs> and then got the house. Yeah, exactly. and, I mean, Paul alludes to the fact he was wealthy, that Jesus was wealthy. 
and then gave up the wealth so that we could ultimately become wealthy. But I don't remember seeing his like 10 year plan or anything about his mortgage payments <laughs> because they had different lenses. Mm. I think in North America, there's this very narrow lens and it's mixed in with that kind of puritanical culture that if we just, you know, are good men and good women and toil away and make money for companies that somehow we will be rewarded with this easy life. Mm. And that's just not the case. And again, that doesn't mean you're not a good financial steward, but financial stewardship, good financial stewardship means different things for different people. For me, I like taking my kids on trips. Mm. For someone else, it might be they want their kids to be in a bigger house or have a car. Or for some people, it's, you know, they want one parent at home. For other people, they have different, but, but we've been taught there's one way. And that way is typically, you know, it, it's you work, you save, you have a bunch in savings, you don't spend too much, someone else defines what too much is. And that's why often in marriage there's friction because if one person's following that, especially if they're in that kind of accumulator mindset because that's really rewarded by society, mm -hmm. the person who might believe that no, money is for sharing, money is for giving away, money is for beautiful experiences, the other person's gonna say, no, no, that's wrong. Because I was told we had to put this much in an envelope and when it's gone, it's gone. And you bought too many lattes and now we don't have a house. And that's just not no. true. Yeah. And it's not helpful, particularly within a marriage. That is powerful. You just said so many things I'm trying to process. I'm like writing things down. Cause I'm like, I gotta sit on that and think <laughs> through that. So let's do this then. Like what advice then? So we've got, you know, a woman listening here with is like, um, I just found out or I'm in the midst of I'm going through a divorce and I am completely overwhelmed. They find themselves unchosen yeah. and they are emotionally wrecked, maybe even in the fetal position. Um, what would you say would be the first one, two things that they should do financially? Because I think that's where the emotional stuff. Yes. Like I was like, I immediately went to a therapist. Yeah. I told my very closest friends like to pray, support but not a lot. So with those two things, but financially, what would you say to her? Would be the first few yeah. things. Um, try to get enough money together um, to hire a lawyer for a couple of okay. hours. So if you can get, you know, a couple thousand dollars together in case something happens. I mean, you know, in marriages, people often think, oh, it'll be amicable. It'll be amicable, but it isn't always amicable. And so you need to make sure that you and your kids are safe. And the reality is money gives you options. Mm -hmm. So whether that's borrowing from friends, whether that's selling a ring, mm -hmm. whether yep. that's, um, you know, doing a little side hustle, you know, or selling clothes on, you know, one of these yep. selling sites, get together some money. Um, and then I would call a lawyer and I would say, you know, I need an hour of your time and try to gather up the information. The key thing you need to know is you have access to bank accounts. Okay. Even if you've not made money, like working outside the home, typically, you know, unless there's inheritances or prenups or things like that, you're entitled to 50% of the assets made in the course of the marriage. So if you don't have access to bank accounts, a lawyer can get you access to bank accounts. If your spouse is spending you into bankruptcy, you can freeze accounts. So often having a lawyer be very strategic and making sure you have access to money is really key. Um, women's shelters can help you with that. You, you don't have to move into a room to access their help. You can call them and they can connect you often with legal aid and mm -hmm. you know, law schools often have some free services or lower cost services. So find out your, your rights, your obligations to protect you and your kids. Because once you have, you know, you're in your apartment, you're feeling safe and secure, you've got some money, then you're starting to be in a mindset to be able to make longer term decisions. But until you feel safe, your, your, your brain will literally not allow you to make mm -hmm. those decisions. You're in fight, flight, or freeze. You're not in that logical decision-making point. Wow. That's really so good. I, I would say that. For yeah. Women. I would, mm -hmm. I mean, I just think this is so great, Jen, because like you don't get that kind of very practical wisdom. I'll be honest, like even within the church context, it's a lot of other things they want you to work on. And, and yeah. 
it, it's great. I, you know, I know that people are like, I, you know, let's, let's pray for reconciliation and restoration. And that can happen. But more than not, a divorce will proceed, the separation will proceed. And then you don't have yes. no one's giving you what you're saying information to say, well, what about your monies? Because I'm telling you when when I was yeah. where I was at, huge stress was caused internal, emotional, anxiousness and panic, sleepless nights, lots of crying. Yeah. And then having to find a job on top of being abandoned, you're not even in your right mind. I can't even, I, I think I went through, Jen, some interviews. I don't even remember them because I was so yeah. undone and I was just trying to get a job because I needed money. And I don't even remember those yeah. interviews. I don't even know. I mean, thank goodness there was um, a community and people. That's the other thing that helped me get some jobs to help me get on my feet. But man, that was not yes. easy. And it could have been a lot easier if I no. had heard what you're saying now uh, to have helped me in that space. Yeah. And ask for financial help. Like, again, there's so much shame around money. But, you know, I, I like to say thoughts and prayers don't pay the no. bills. So if someone says, what can I do for you? You know what? I would, you know, can you lend me $300 because I need to hire, yeah. uh, you know, 45 minutes of a lawyer's time. And then, you know, the money will be freed up and at some point I'll be on my feet and I'll pay you back, but I need that. Thoughts and prayers also, but there is a reality yes. of paying the rent. Yes. And so don't be ashamed. Again, it's not like, oh, look at you, can't even keep a man and now you need money. It has nothing to do with that. There's so much shame around the end of a relationship and there's so much shame around money and divorce really compounds mm -hmm. those and i find within the christian community you know i mean it's interesting when um you look at the bible and you know what are some of the things that are said about money because it's two very different like there are christians who take vows of poverty because you know it's easier for a, a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man into heaven there's also the john 10 10 prosperity gospel folks who were saying, I came to give you mm -hmm. abundance. You know, Jesus came to give us abundance and, and it should be overflowing. And if you don't have abundance, does God mm -hmm. really love you? And so in the church, you have people who are literally taking diametrically opposite approaches. So it's no wonder we're so confused. Good. And the reality is, I mean, God loves you if you're rich. God loves you if you're poor. Now, God does not want you to worship money. That is mm -hmm. super clear. You're not to worship money because you can't serve God in money. Don't let money get in the way of your faith or values. Don't make money by exploiting mm -hmm. people or oppressing the poor. Don't be arrogant and share. That's what the Bible mm -hmm. says about money. It doesn't opine on like, how much should you have? How much should you save? How, how long a mortgage should you take? I mean, it's just not there because that's not really how money works money's just this energy exchange so we don't have to have like a barter system oh let's whatever, go back to the right? barter, system, barter system jen i'll barter your pradas <laughs> and you can barter my um vintage nana's purse that's hanging on my wall something like that <laughs> well i mean my like right money was never supposed to be this heavy now we're not supposed to use it as a weapon just like we're not supposed to use anything right. as a weapon. We're, you know, we're not supposed to use it to oppress people. And, you know, in the Bible, if you say, does God love rich people or poor people more? Well, a lot more nice the things poor. are said about the poor. <laughs> so, so again, that shame around money, whether it's the shame of having too much or not enough or not spending it in the right way, that needs to be divorced from faith. Mm. So, you know, when you're looking at, dealing with money in divorce, after divorce, in a marriage. Um, it, it has nothing to do with like your, your value to God or, you know, there's no, I mean, I know lots of people have made these sort of, you know, Jesus wants you to be rich. Here's the budget you should follow. If you give 10% to this guy, he'll mm. 10X your money. Oh. In terms of I mean, there's a lot of really toxic mm -hmm. messaging out there. The reality is, um, God loves you, he, yeah. you know, and you should be a good steward of your money because you want your money to be able to help the people in your life, to help people who need it. So, you know, should you be spending all of your money on Prada? Probably not because that's not great stewardship. 
Should you be saving and hoarding all of it and never giving any of it and never using it to bring joy? That's equally mm-hmm. dysfunctional. It's good. So it's a balanced approach. And unfortunately, most of us have childhoods. We come out of systems where we've experienced, you know, racism and sexism and ableism. And so a lot of us have toxic money stories that then carry into our marriages, they carry into our divorces. And it's not money itself that is the problem. It's our money Mm -hmm. stories. But luckily we can change our money stories. That's That's the good news. You can change your money stories anytime you want. Money (laughs) stories. Now, do those come mainly from like family of origin or you just pick those up along the way? Like what does that mean, your money story? Yeah, I mean, it's considered to be certainly your family of origin. Um, like if there was money scarcity, if you know, you lost a house or there was always a lot of stress around paying the rent or the end of the month, um, you will have picked up on that. And for some people, it means they want nothing to do with money for others. It means they worship Mm. money and they're, they're workaholics. And so, you know, how you, how you use that story in your life is quite individual. Um, there's more and more thought that a lot of the systemic money things go back generations. You know, if if your land was taken from you, that is essentially in your DNA. Um, and so, you know, a lot of kind of racialized issues mm. and issues of, of gender, you know, they go way back. And so it's not like you can, you know, go and get hypnotized and fix right. it or something. It's recognizing this is my story and this is what is not serving me mm. well. And that's where having, you know, knowing your money type can help you get a little bit of distance from it because so often we use these ugly words, particularly in marital fights. You're a cheapskate. You're going to spend us into the poorhouse. You're a gambler, right? You think money grows on trees. Um, These are all acknowledging our money stories and patterns that our partners have recognized. But rather than saying you're a cheapskate, <laughs> let's let's try to use different language and get underneath mm. that because people's essential money qualities won't change. But more and more we can rely on our strengths mm. and more and more we can tackle our challenge areas. And if we can do that openly and without judgment using a different language, it's just like the love languages rather than saying, you never bring me a cup of tea or whatever. It's like, oh, my love language is acts mm-hmm. of service. I would love it if you would bring me a cup right. of tea. It's, it's the same thing, but what comes across as nagging without that love language knowledge you know, it's nagging. When you have the love language knowledge, you can take a step back and say, oh, wait a minute. I'm feeling unseen and unheard no. and unloved because my love languages aren't being spoken. Right. And the exact hold holds true for, for money Yeah, languages. and I've never, this was so fascinating. When we were having our lunch together and you were sharing what you were doing, and all of a sudden you came, you said to me, there is a, you know, lo- like a, a eight languages of money. And I was like, what? You mean like love languages? Like the, my five languages of love. And you're like, well, no, there's eight languages of money. And I'm like, I have never heard this before. I wish I had heard this because yeah. I think, in all honesty, that's one of the hard conversations Chris and I have. That's a hard conversation many of my friends in relationships have. Money. Because it seems like yes. the opposites attract in money as well. Um, oh, and it is yeah. like one of the like... <laughs> You know, sex and money, it's one of the things that in a relationship and communication, you know, but what we yes. struggle with. And I wish, and I, you know, I, I want us to go through those because it's, it's ast- astounding that we've never heard this. And this is what kind of grieves me a bit, Jen. Like, we never really taught this in school. Our parents never really talked about yeah. it. Like, we'd see bits of it as kids, how your parents would manage the money. But you're right. They would share their money stories and then have those kinds of things said you're not being taught this in secondary or like post-secondary and so you it's like you're having to find your way to figure out money in you know and it's so hard and then you go into a marriage and you're like oh he is a cheapskate and i spend too much and we can't see eye to eye and then big blow-ups you know and so 
I think this Absolutely. is so important. I know. Instead of teaching you about the isosceles triangle or whatever, why are they yeah, teaching um, how to, Yeah, exactly. It's like how to use, a, you know, but, all of these things. I'm like, but this would really help young people if they knew this. So if you can, I would love to talk about the, the, the eight languages of yeah. money because I think that is going to be life-changing and really strengthening our listening, you know, listeners and viewers who are like, I've never heard this. I need this to understand this. All yeah. right, I'm ready. I'm going to take notes. Yeah, so absolutely. Just... So it, it's a, um, it's a, it's a coach. Her name is Kendall Summerhawk, and she came up with this, you know, uh, approach to money called Sacred Money Archetypes, and it's eight different money types, and it falls along the lines of, you know money dysfunction, which has been studied by financial psychologists. Um, but she just made it this very digestible, kind of easy to access thing. So there's basically eight types. So there's the ruler. That's like money is used to build hmm. my empire. So these are like entrepreneurs and leaders. And these. this is the ruler type. The romantic is money is there to create beautiful experiences. <laughs> Fashion, beautiful dinner. We're both like this. I'm saying to Jen, looking at Jen, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that because when we go for lunch, yeah, we, we just like order all the appetizers. We do, <laughs> and we have great outfits on, and we're like, we're like, oh, that looks great, that looks great. Let's have, let's share a ton of appetizers that don't even fit on the table because we want it all. <laughs> so that's you know the romantic. The nurturer is money is there to help people mm. I love. You know they're often supporting family with their money. Um, the maverick is money's there for taking risks. This is your, you know, investor, your founder. It can be gamblers. You know, money's there for risks and to make more. The connector is, I call it the damsel in distress because I have a lot of this in me. It's that other people need to take care of my money needs. I don't want to deal with money. I want someone else to deal with it. The alchemist is the money grows on trees. Like, don't worry about it. The money will come. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> but it drives, like, other mm -hmm. types crazy. The accumulator. This is your classic cheapskate. Money is for saving. There's a rainy day coming and you'll regret spending the money on the lattes. But again, that's only one in eight. And yet a lot of personal finance people, it focuses on mm. the accumulator only. And yet it's only one of the eight. And the celebrity, money's for splashing around. They love their Louis. They love their bottle service at restaurants. That's what money's for. It's for making other people mm. feel fabulous. So depending on your type, like none are bad. None are good. All have strengths and all have problems. Mm. So in acknowledging this and in figuring out, and I have a, you know, a, a quiz you can take, you can access it online if you just Google sacred money archetypes, or if you come to the midlifeedit.com, um, I have some information. But basically, if you know your type and you know your partner's type, you can start to have conversations in a more mm -hmm. loving way. And where you start is that neither of our perspectives are bad, and we acknowledge that we each want to be a good steward of our wealth and support mm -hmm. our family. Because ultimately that is true. You're just likely doing it in really mm -hmm. different ways. And so if say, you know, I, I mean, I'll use the female example just because I relate to it. The, the, the wife really wants to take the kids overseas to meet the extended family because great grandma is getting old and this may be the last time we've gone through COVID. The time is now. He is an accumulator. He's looking at the news saying interest rates are going up in the economy. And this is a terrible time. And so they're locked into this battle where he thinks she's trying to spend money that they don't have. And she thinks he's trying to keep the children away from, from great grandma who may not right. be there in a year. And they, they battle and they battle and they battle and they battle. Whereas, you know, you're cheap and you spend too much and you're a shopper. If instead they were to sit down and, you know, let's say the wife wants to sit the husband down and say, I want you to know that I'm committed to being a good steward of our wealth. Based on my background, I'm a romantic. I know that memories are the only thing that cannot be taken mm -hmm. away from us. 
right? Like the stock market can be down, the housing market can crash, memories are there forever. And so to be a steward of our wealth for our family, I think creating memories, introducing our children to their family is really important. Like I think that is for the good mm. of our family. But I acknowledge that you are an accumulator. You show love by having a big bank account so that if you lose your job or the kids wanna to go to an expensive college, that we don't have to worry. Like we both love our family so much, we have really different approaches to how that should happen. So I'm acknowledging you're not wrong or cheap. You're an accumulator and yeah, the news mm -hmm. is scary. Um, but we also have a window on the kids meeting great grandma. Can we sit down and go through our budget and see if we can find room and space to make this trip happen? Mm. And that might mean, at that point, that might mean you want to give up the daily lattes to pay for the airfare. But you're doing it lovingly and willingly and with open mm. eyes. It's not because buying lattes is inherently wrong. It's because, you know, you have so much money and, and you can either make more. She could say, I'm going to get a part-time job so we can make this happen. Or I'm going to spend less in this area to make things happen. Or, you know, we'll delay, say, we'll go to this trip, but then we'll, you know, save more the next year or put off the Florida right. trip or whatever. By using the languages, you're not digging into that. My view of money is superior to your view of money. Or I read this book by this budgeting expert who says that trips are frivolous. Because I can tell you, if you don't go and great grandma passes away, the mm -hmm. resentment is going to be huge because you can't get that back. And same with if they do go and he loses the job and then it's hard to pay the mortgage, there's going to be resentment. If you can collectively figure out a plan that acknowledges both of your money languages, it's going to be so much more Jen, effective. And you don't need to have yeah, a person Jen, to do this yeah. on your own. What yeah, is your own Jen, language? That's amazing. Like, <laughs> I think about my first marriage and that was the big issue. So he was, you know, he was, he loved the home. We bought a home. He wanted to put the money into the home, the fence, the great backyard, landscaping, the home. And I, who never really, honestly, per se, wanted to buy a home, because I always felt that that was holding me back, wanted to go on trips. I wanted to go on vacations. I wanted to go eat out with friends. I wanted to experience life. Um, and we were, got started getting resentful because I was like, I don't want to spend five grand on this new air conditioning system and stones for the garden. When five grand could get us to right. Belize and Costa Rica for an incredible beach experience. And he's going, yeah. yes, but that's fleeting for two weeks. <laughs> we would then have great air conditioning and flagstone, you know, stones on our home that we'll have longer. And we could not Jen, right. get to the middle. Like it was so, and now when I, when I'm, I'm yeah. seeing this as I'm writing this down, I'm like, that makes sense. I wish we had had the conversations like what you're saying, because then we could have seen it, but it was more like, then we right. react and act out and start in this yelling match. And we yeah. both wanted, yeah. because then if you think about it, we both wanted to be together and have experiences. He wanted them at home with people with me at the home so that right. it would look nice and everything. I wanted it with him in a different yeah. setting, experiencing it with the memory. And so in a way, what you're saying is that it's like right. we both want the same thing, just in different places and ways that, that yes. looks, but I never knew this. This is the first time as you're saying this, yeah. I'm getting aha moments, like pinging in my brain right now as you say this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It just allows you to take that yeah. step back and to release yourself from the shame. And unfortunately in a dynamic, and it is often that the man is the accumulator and the woman, you know, wants to spend and nurture and create experiences for the family. Um, and so much of the personal finance dialogue is around 
save, save, save. And I mean, a lot of them have been written in the last 30 years where there's been a, you know, kind of ever improving housing market and a lot of bull markets and the, and that's great. But the reality is, you know, finances ebb and flow and experiences. I think a lot of us learned through COVID. I mean, I know for me, it's like, I'm never going to not go to a concert again or go on a travel opportunity because for two years that was taken away. It was the first time I realized like, what if I never get right. to that location? What if I never see that artist right. perform? Um, and I felt regretful because often I have canceled things because it's like, oh, it's not the right time. And so it's a balance. There are financial realities, but it's both parties in the marriage need to offer each other the respect that you're both bringing your best to the table. And often opposites attract because look, if two romantics are married to each other, they will... Europe and Italy and the food and the shrimp and the lobster and then they'll look at their bank account and there will be nothing left. So I think often we're drawn to the opposite because it's a nice balancing yeah. effect in a marriage. But it is why there's so much friction. And again, you know, in Christian couples, they can each point to pa passages in the Bible saying, you know, lilies of the field, look, they're just taking care of it. It's awesome. Or you better toil yes, or you right. won't eat. You know, I mean, you can always find a passage that supports your way of thinking. It's so much more productive to say, and this can work with children. This can work with business partners. This can work even with discussions with your own financial planner by saying, look, I get that you're saying I should save this much. I need to enjoy right. my life. And so, you know, I believe in living in the now, knowing that I won't have as much later, but it's right. a conscious decision. Like if, as long as it's a conscious decision, you can make anything work. But lang money languages, particularly in romantic relationships and marriages, it just helps you take that you're cheap, you spend too much. Remember when you spent all that money? Right. At the, you know, <laughs> like it, it eliminates that and it allows you to, to take each other's personalities into account in a way that's a little yeah. less. John, that is so good. Wow. I mean, I could talk with you for like hours, which we will probably call you after this interview and go, we're going for apps, put on your best outfits. Let's go. Honestly, because it's so good. I'm learning. I, I learned so much. I mean, I've got tons of notes. Um, Jen, I know there are people listening who are like, I need to get a hold of Jen. I need some help. How can they do that? Um, best way to get in touch with you. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. You can come over to themidlifeedit.com. Um, and you can reach out to me there. I've got a free community. I've got a bunch of coaching freebies. Um, and then if you're more interested in like, you know, divorce work or money work, you know, I, I can link you to this stuff. So all my contact details are on the midlifeedit.com. Uh, Jen, seriously, what a pleasure. I loved having you with me on our SOS Summer of Strength. Like, honestly, for anybody who's like, even for me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I wish I had Jen during the time that I was going through my own separation and divorce. Um, honestly, and I'm, I'm so proud of, of what you're doing, really helping women in this very difficult, scary, shameful time. And I love how you've just sort of switched things and flipped things on their head about having some more power and choice for me as a woman. Um, I love how you identified shame and that we, we, we don't live there in the shame anymore, right? Like, I think that's a big thing that women, um, yeah. especially in the church and Christian women about divorce and they hide it. And I think it's just powerful what you've yeah. said, you, like empowering us back to kind of take charge of our lives, to to make wise decisions financially, to ask the questions and not let, you know, other people yeah. tell us what to do or what they think. It's just like, actually, no, I have, I have resources and, and things that I can ask and not be ashamed about, you know, and I think what you're doing is amazing. So thank you. Yeah. And there's great group programs I can connect you with like betrayal trauma oh. recovery is a group program you can access over zoom. I'm friends with one of the coaches there. It's, you know, Christian based and it is terrific for women going through divorce, wanting to be in a ink container. It's less expensive than hiring a private divorce coach. So I can always direct, you know, listeners to resources that can help them because um, you don't have to go mm. through this alone. 
And um, the shame needs to be taken out of the equation. You've got enough to deal with without right. having shame on top of it. Money shame, divorce shame. There's just, yeah. there's no room for that. We just need to oh, heal and move forward. Thank you, Jen. And I'm so glad that you emailed me those many years ago and that we connected that way. That story still, I hear that. It's been a decade. I got a, I got a thing on Facebook saying that I've known you for 10 years or whatever, like within the month. No, I, I can't like, believe, Can it. believe it. I can't believe it. But I know. And a I'm decade. so glad. And all the things we met, you're a co-host on See Here Love. Oh man, that season with your thoughts were like some of the most powerful shows that See Here Love has ever done. Just with your, you know, I think what was beautiful is that you understanding culture and people um, and just your honest, thoughtful, um, you know, sharing into the conversations with, with a different flavor and language was so good for us at that time in our, in our, you know, in our own journey and growing a see here love. And I've always appreciated. Oh, well, I love you having like just the fact you make space for my voice. Cause I mean, I, I was brought up outside of the kind of traditional Christian culture. I take a very different, yeah. very liberal view to it, which you know may shock some people. But I think we've been able to have some interesting mm -hmm. discussions as a result. So I commend you for bringing on and thank amplifying you. different. Thank voices. you. Appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you, Jen. So thank you so much. And to our listeners and viewers, as you may be navigating a separation, impending divorce, or in the throes of divorce. And you may be in the fetal position, in a fog, or you're feeling like you're spiraling out of control with your finances. This is the encouragement, what Jen said. Know that you can change your money story, that you're not alone, that there are resources there for you, that you can do this, that you do not need to live with shame and under shame. Uh, know that. And also know that while you're navigating through this, today is not your forever. You will get through this. And you are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of our SOS Summer of Strength series uh, with Jen Lawrence. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing See Here Love. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R, 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.